Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damian Kristoff, and Dr. Brett Hill. Hi, this is Dr. Lawrence Tam. And I'm Dr. Damian Kristoff. And I'm Dr. Brett Hill. And we're the Wellness Guys. Welcome to the episode number two. And this time we're going to be talking about the food pyramid. Oh, no, wait. It's not the food pyramid anymore. The it's food called plate. the food plates. All yeah. right, so let's talk about the food pyramid. What? What, Damien, you've been talking about the food pyramid in your talks for quite some time. Let's uh, give us some background. Well, it's funny you say that, LT, because in my talks, I've been saying that the food pyramid's existed since 1910. However, staying corrected, the food pyramid um, in itself, like in its actual current form that we know today, uh, really only became available to the public in the early 90s. But prior to that, in the 1970s, 1974, Sweden actually did have a food pyramid. They were the first, I suppose, to put together a food pyramid who actually included grains and nuts and seeds and beans and all those sorts of things. And prior to that, back in 1916, the U.S. government actually had uh, food guidelines where they, they called it the four food groups. And so the four food groups was essentially a program that encouraged people to eat fruits and vegetables, meats and fats. That's all it was. And, uh, and that was healthy eating. So back in 1916, they probably had it closer to spot on than what they did for the last, for, for, you know, at least the last 20 odd years since 1992. Uh, but then even probably from 1974, so we're talking about the last at least 35 years, uh, we've been at least using some of the Swedish information. And I actually do remember um, in primary school, and Brett, you might be the same, and LT might be the same, I remember seeing food guide information in primary school and on the side of cereal boxes that actually said that you needed to have certain portions of fruit and vegetables, but more grains than anything else. Yeah. I remember the cereal boxes. I remember that. Uh, for Definitely. Sure. I, always remember, I always remember it from being in the dentist. It was like the dentist, this massive thing of the food pyramid. And it was like this, this huge thing. If you had breads, grains, and cereals, you could eat bucket loads of those. At the dentist? Yeah. Wow. Interesting, huh? How about that? I don't even remember going to the dentist. It was so traumatic. <laughs> just because the food pyramid was there, it was so traumatic. Yeah, I think it was because I was following the food pyramid. I think it going back. <laughs> so, I mean, like, there was some controversy actually how it started, wasn't it? The, the, the origination of, uh, you know, how the food pyramid actually began? Yeah, well, most certainly the uh, the birth of the food pyramid in its current form. Which let's just let's just say it was, it's now twenty years old. Um, we'll just we'll go with you know what is the published data on that. Although we can easily argue that it's over thirty years old, and we can stem it back to be further than that. But the uh, the United States Department of Agriculture actually put together the food pyramid, and the food pyramid. You know, if you get something that's designed by industry, it's influenced by industry. So, for example, the dietitians associations of the countries around the world are funded by industry. And so the information that they disseminate through to the members is influenced by industry. So the education that um, supplies professionals to the dietitians association is also funded by industry. And the United States Department of Agriculture Food Pyramid has essentially funded the education of dietitians and, of course, the nutrition information for mainstream medicine for at least the last 20 years. But I would argue that it's been for 35-plus years and possibly even longer than that. It's almost like, but, uh, I guess, uh, medicine, you know, where the, the drug company sponsors the study for a drug effect on that particular condition. No doubt. It's yeah. sort of very similar. It's certainly wide open to bias, isn't it? I mean, if, if you've got the, the manufacturers of the product are then telling people what products they should be 
consuming, oh, no. um, then, then there's obviously going to be some level of bias there. You know, it's, even if it's not a deliberate bias, it, it's got to exist. Um, and, you know, you look at what's actually recommended in the food pyramid and it, and it pretty closely reflects what, you know, mass agriculture are really good at producing. Yeah, well, well, let's look at that old food pyramid. I mean, if most, most people who may not even, they may have seen the pyramid, but they don't really know what's wrong with the pyramid because that's what we grew up with. So most of us sort of think, well, that's the way we're supposed to live. What's wrong with it? Well, first things, first things first, when you look at the, the bottom row of the food pyramid, which, you know, a pyramid is designed in a triangle shape, a three-dimensional triangle shape, but they only use one dimension. So it should really be called a food triangle first up. You know, so let's get technical about it. But, um, get the important things first. Yeah, exactly. Now, the other thing that we have with the food pyramid is that it's, di- it's divided into little sections, and the sections have kind of no real um, delineation that indicates a 30% or a 40% or anything. It's kind of just an indicative, you know, let's just go with that. Now, the biggest line, the fattest line, which is funny because it's, you know, the people who get the biggest. <laughs> yeah, I like that, the so fattest line. The fattest line, which is at the bottom, it's the fattest section of the food pyramid, actually indicates that you should be eating somewhere between, it used to say, 9 to 12 serves of grain-based carbohydrates a day. Now, it, it's been changed. It now says 6 to 9 serves of grain-based carbohydrate. But that was changed because the World Health Organization said that the food pyramid wasn't safe. And then... What, they, what, what also was said was the Harvard School of Medicine actually reviewed this and they did 80 years of collaborative research and they pulled together 80 years of research and said, hang on a second, the food pyramid's upside down. We should be having a lot more fruits and vegetables. We should have more protein. We should have more good fats and we should have hardly any grains, but we should also have a multivitamin. Well, that was discarded by most governments around the world because it indicated we should have a multivitamin and a calcium supplement. Their argument is that you should be able to get all of the nutrients that you need from food. But since 19, I think it's 1905 when the government commissioned a report in the US uh, where they looked at the soil status in the, in the states to see whether or not uh, food was still delivering as much nutrition as what it did uh, 50 years ago, they found that there had been such significant decline that the population would be malnourished. So it actually says, that, that report says that you do need to have some kind of supplementation added to your diet to be able to fortify the food that you're eating because the food can't deliver everything you need. So if you're going to eat from the fattest part of the pyramid, you're not going to get all the nutrition. That's what they were saying. Yeah, and I think you know it definitely makes sense that particularly if you're following that food pyramid, that you're just not going to get all the nutrients you need. You know, we we can look at that massive bottom section there, um, and those breads, grains, and cereals. You know, they're really high. Um, in calories, but in terms of nutrients per calorie, there's not an effective way of getting nutrients into your body. You know, and, and if we look at it, you know, I always like to look at it from kind of an evolutionary sense. You know, if we look at what our bodies evolved over millions of years to be suited to, you know, it wasn't eating huge amounts of breads, grains, and cereals. You know, we really only started milling breads, grains, and cereals about 10,000 years ago. Yeah. Prior to that, we just didn't have this whole huge chunk at the bottom of the food pyramid. It just didn't even exist at all. Yeah. And now we're saying, well, no, this is like the core. This is the basis of everything we should be eating. Right. That just doesn't make sense. And it's, yeah, it's a fat chunk. I mean, it's a massive chunk on the bottom. And then built on top of that is the vegetable and fruit. You know, so it's vegetable and fruit, which we, we know is much better for you, is the secondary sort of part of the pyramid, not the base pyramid, which is really interesting. Now, there's a lot of implication around it, right? I mean, we've used fat bottom as part of like what we were talking about, the bottom 
half or the bottom part of the pyramid. The biggest, fattest portion of the pyramid is the thing that actually makes you the fattest. It gives you the big bottom. Like it's, it's that's the metaphor that we could use with the old food pyramid. But so, so Damo, can you go into that in a bit more detail? Because people out there kind of have this idea that no, no, it's fat that makes you fat. But you're right. saying it's the breads and the grains. Yeah, because the fat's on top. You know, it's the top of the pyramid. So they're using it sparingly, they say. Yeah, well, that's right. Well, that's interesting, is because it's it's actually the metabolism of carbohydrate fuel that is uh, that gets manufactured or sorry metabolized into something called triglyceride, and triglyceride is the storage form of fuel that the fat cells use. Fat cells don't store anything else other than triglycerides, and essentially it's three glyceride molecules, uh, which of course are carbohydrates, um, bound to a saturated fatty acid molecule, which is you know, less than a quarter of that whole molecule. So it's it's really, if you don't eat fat, you make it. And so you're going to make it from the carbs that you eat or the grains that you eat, not from the fat that you eat. So, so what we're saying is that these, these processed carbohydrates just have a huge amount of energy in them, essentially. Yeah. And, and because they're so energy dense, what's happening is we're taking in much more energy than we're burning off. Yes. And so what our body's doing with that, all that extra spare energy is storing it as fat. Because yeah. your body's like, hey, I might need that later on, yeah, <laughs> just right. in case. Because, yeah. you know, we're not used to, our bodies aren't designed for an environment where food is just absolutely readily available all day, every day, however much you want you know, unlimited, you know, if you look at our society, we have unlimited amounts of food. If you had the money, you could go out and buy just an absolutely unlimited amount of food. Whereas our bodies think, oh, well, maybe, maybe tomorrow there won't be any food around, you know, maybe I won't be able to catch something tomorrow. Yeah. So then, well, we better store that just in case, we'll save it for later. Well, that's, but, that's what yeah. people forget, you know, we, we got to forget that we used to run around chasing food, and so yeah. we had to expend energy to get our food. That's one thing. And the second thing, that's also one of the reasons why I believe fat tastes so good because genetically, fat is designed what we body needs in the sense of storing it so that we can preserve ourselves because we didn't know where the next meal was going to come from. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, it, you know, it's, it's the, I mean, I, just, I love this conversation. It's fantastic. But can we just go up to the skinnier part of the bottom here, right? So when we talk about a skinnier bottom, uh, we're talking about vegetables and fruits. And it's interesting because these here, if we go back to 1916, the US government was actually saying, these here are your carbohydrates. But it's expensive, right? So fruits and vegetables are seen to be expensive compared to grains. And so you can make lots of things out of grains. And it's seen that you can feed the population with calories and energy, give them energy. You don't have to give them nutrients because you don't need to live on nutrients. Nutrients design or allow you to have a better quality of life, but you just need fuel to exist. And so they can give you heaps of fuel. You can store all that fuel. The nutrients are going to give you that existence, that quality of existence. That's not that important according to the, the you know this particular food pyramid. The, the suggestion and the implication of this food pyramid is that vegetables and fruits should be eaten in less quality or sorry, quantity than grain-based uh, carbohydrates. And so the vegetable group says three to five servings. The fruit group says two to, food, uh, two to four servings. And even if I added up the maximum amount, which is five and four, I would get nine. The suggestion to have the maximum amount of bread, cereal, rice, and pasta group is 11. So even if I was supposed to eat bucket loads of fruits and vegetables, which we know that in Australia, New Zealand, the US, um, Canada... You don't forget Canada. <laughs> I did say Canada, uh, that, that the recommendation is to have around five vegetables and two fruits a day. It's five plus two. Usually it's about seven a day. That's usually the recommendation. In New Zealand, it's three plus two. Five plus a day is what they're saying, um, but still have heaps of carbs. And, and so I think one thing we need to talk about here is cost, right? Because we've spoken about the cost of the breads and the grains and the cereals versus the cost of the fruits and vegetables. Yeah. But I reckon almost every time we talk about this, we don't talk about the real cost. 
We, we talk about the cost of actually buying that particular food or producing that particular food. Yeah. But if we were to look at the real cost in terms of lost energy, in terms of lost productivity, in terms of sickness, in terms of medications, in terms of surgery, you know, if you looked at that whole big picture of what actually you get if you eat more fruits and vegetables, because let's if you have a look at the research that's out there around fruits and vegetables, yeah. it's huge. Yeah. You know, like it's just phenomenal. There is so much evidence there to show, and this. You know, I always get onto this when people start talking about chronic disease and how we don't know what to do to help it. And it's like, well, no, we've got heaps of evidence of what we need to do to help people with chronic disease. We just need to do it. Yeah, it's going to do it. I think you, that's a great point. I think that you took it from a, a huge macro point of view on what the costs of our, our health system. But let's look at the micro level. I mean, people who eat sort of like the bready types of cereal or breads or cereals for breakfast, I mean, their cost for that serve might be small, but they're hungry within an hour. So then they're ingesting another portion, and which they don't think about because they're the only thinking proportion. And as I said before, it's it's for the individual as well. It, it's their energy, it's their lost productivity. It is even as an individual, your medical costs are going to be different. You know, you're actually you're not performing. You're you're losing out in terms of performance at work. You're losing out in terms of the amount of energy you've got to spend with your kids. You know, we spoke last time about this whole wellness idea and how it's about more than just. Um, your health—it's about your life and your kids and your family—and you know, you're actually losing all of that sort of stuff as well when you when you're not performing at your best. That's right. That's right. Let's move on to the next part. It means obviously we've got the smaller up on top of that pyramid is the milk cheese group, and then also the meat and portion, and then on top of that, right, the tip of the pyramid is the fats, the oils, and the sweets. Yeah, that's right. You know, the the recommendation by the the USDA uh, was that you would have meat and poultry, fish and dry beans, eggs, nuts and all that sort of stuff, which is your protein-rich stuff. Uh, They suggested two to three servings a day. Now, I reckon that's about the most accurate amount, you know, two to three servings, but it doesn't indicate what a serving size is, so there's no real understanding of what that is. But, but, you know, if you live through the 80s, and, you know, we, we, we lived through the 80s, all three of us, um, we did hear that rumor that eggs were bad for you. Mm. And we also heard that you should only have one or two eggs a week. And, you know, of course, if that is the information regarding portion size, then most people aren't going to eat enough eggs. You know, and you need at least, I reckon, seven to 14 eggs a week just to stay healthy. That's what I reckon. And then you need to have fish and you need to have nuts and seeds and you need to have, um, you know, and things that, that provide high yields of protein. So if you're going to have beans and legumes, you want to make sure that you're mixing those with, with, um, with grains that are appropriate. But still, that's going to deliver way too much carbohydrate in a relatively low nutrient profile um, into the body, which, again, makes it more difficult, doesn't it, Brett? Yeah, absolutely. And I would actually even say that I reckon this group, I reckon we could, we could have more. We could have more of the proteins. Um, if you look at the comparison, once again, go back to sort of what we're eating now compared to what we're eating prior to the sort of industrialization of our, um, you know, our agriculture, we were actually eating a higher percentage of protein back then compared to the, the carbohydrates. Mm. So we can actually up those carbohydrates a bit and even the get a little bit more. Uh, sorry, the, the proteins a little bit. Thank yeah. you, Damo. Uh, and, and even get a little bit more of that. Um, and particularly, obviously, focusing on those healthy ones, that you know, the meat, the fish, which is fantastic, oh. the nuts, which are really healthy, yes. eggs, as I said, which are, which are just great. Um, so focusing on, you know, not just the fact that it's protein, but it's those healthy proteins is really important too. So yeah. we, we're obviously breaking down the old food pyramid. And uh, just recently, uh, the U.S. government has announced their newest guide to uh, sort of decrease the obesity that's going on in the United States. Uh, and improve the general health. So they come up with now, instead of the food pyramid, they come up with something called the food plate, right? So this That's is right. definitely moving away from that food pyramid and uh, going to another form. 
uh, into what we call the food play. So for those of us, obviously, you're listening to a podcast, you can't really see anything, but you can just check it out. Just uh, Google food plates and, uh, you know, you, you'll see basically in a plate, you got four portions in that plate. You got fruit, you got vegetables, which uh, makes up half the plate. And then you have grains and protein, which makes up the second half of the plate. Um, and then also on the side, you should have a, a cup of milk, I guess. It's the dairy. Was it interesting because the old pyramid actually suggested that you needed to have three to four serves of dairy every single day, which is as much, that's actually more dairy than fruit. And, you know, it just, to me, didn't make sense. One of the things is about dairy is that, yes, absolutely, it is high in calcium. But the, uh, the bioavailability, the amount of calcium that your body gets access to from the calcium from dairy is very, very poor. You, it's not, you don't get a lot of calcium from dairy. You don't absorb a lot. It's a, it's a biologically active uh, calcium. It's what we call calcium carbonate. It's poorly absorbed. It's very heavy. Uh, and it actually, because it's so heavy and in such large concentration, when it goes into the gut, calcium, too much calcium, down-regulates the amount of acid in the gut. So as a result, when you put too much calcium into your gut, you don't digest your food properly. So part of that means that you won't absorb the nutrients that you're actually getting in your food because you're not digesting it properly. Because, of course, digestion has to take first before absorption will take place. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really important to understand that you don't have to get, cal- you don't have to get your calcium from dairy. You know, if you look at all of the other animals on the planet, you know, you look at an elephant, you know, it's got these awesome, huge, strong bones, and it gets all of its calcium from leafy green vegetables. Yeah. You know, it just eats heaps of leaf matter. Yeah. And really, you I think an elephant doesn't drink milk? It doesn't drink milk. Well, oh apart from God. when it's a little baby, it might yeah. have a bit of breast milk. But an adult elephant, you know, any adult animal apart from us doesn't drink any milk, and they all have enough calcium. Right, because they're getting it from those vegetable sources, which are actually the best way to get your calcium. Mm-hmm. So that was probably the first thing that stood out for me on this plate was I looked at that and went, well, okay, we've got this dairy section, which is obviously kind of indicating a little cup. So they're obviously kind of talking about the milk. And I thought, isn't that crazy that you would have a food pyramid, you would have milk there, but not have water? Yes. I think yeah. that is absurd. <laughs> I, think, I think personally, I think when they, you know, because it's obviously a government initiative, right? It's, uh, so the website is actually choosemyplate.gov. And uh, I think the government initiative is, is to satisfy those lobbyists from the dairy, dairy farmers. Well, once, well. once again, it's created by the, uni- the United States Department of Agriculture. Yeah. <laughs> right. That says it all, doesn't it? There you go. Yeah. USDA, that's right. Um, and, you know, you look at this food plate. What they've got right, I reckon, is the amount of fruit and vegetable. I think that's excellent. Uh, I think it's about time that governments around the world suggested and started to promote that we eat more fruits and vegetables. Half the plate or half of your diet, they suggest here, should be fruits and vegetables. They also suggest that we have um, just slightly less than uh, a quarter of your plate being protein. Now, I reckon that's underdone, but I suppose the assumption is that you're going to get some protein from your fruits and your vegetables, albeit there's not a whole lot of protein in those things. So I, I believe, um, and certainly with, with what I've read and what I know, and we're going to have an interview with Lauren Cordain, you know, the founder of the Paleo Program. Um, there may even be a possibility we might get uh, 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 Dr. Peter Diadamo, the blood type guy on, on here. We'll, you know, awesome. we'll be able to have those sorts of guys on here and, and have a chat about it. But I've read that we need a lot more protein. So around about 40% of our calories should be coming from protein. Now, that would mean that we should be you know, pushing that protein up and eating into the grain sort of um, you know, value that they've given on, on this plate. And I reckon the grain should be shrunk down a little bit. There's still indication there that more than a quarter of our diet should actually come from grain, and I think that's too much. And, and the interesting thing they've spoken about is that only half of that should be whole grains. 
they're saying you should get at least half whole grains, but that means that you know an eighth of your diet is refined carbohydrates and grains. I mean, that's just huge. I think that's way too much. So I, I definitely agree with Damo. A bit more protein would be great. Uh, I, as I said, I, I'm with Damo. I love the fact there's more vegetables and fruits and that vegetables outweighs the fruits. That's a really good thing too. Uh, but definitely like to see some more protein there and, and shrinking down that grain section. Also, too, I think it's very um, important to remember that, you know, right there, the plate says 50% fruit and veggies in your plate. But most of the time, people, when they think of a plate, is that it's only dinner time. You know, they don't think about lunch and breakfast. So what they're suggesting here is also that you should be having 50% of your whole entire day should be fruits and vegetables, not just 50% in your dinner time. Because, you you know, most of us don't think of breakfast in a plate because most of us have cereals or um, have those things. We don't actually add fruit and vegetables in our breakfast because don't think of eating vegetables in your breakfast. So I think it's important you need to look at 50% as a whole day. So if you had a whole pasta dish at nighttime and dinner, which is all grains, uh, with no vegetables, you need to, you know, consider having a whole plate of salad for lunch to kind of counteract that too as well. And, and also what you snack on in between. You know, what are you snacking on in between? Is that Are you snacking on some fruits and vegetables in between? Or is it just um, a muesli bar? You know, so yeah. That's, you yeah. Know, I mean, that's, uh, that's what most people have been told, to eat these muesli bars, that, uh, thinking that that's great for you, good, good high in energy. But it's just for yeah. the grains. So the other thing I reckon is missing from this plate is there's nothing there about fat. Nothing. They're, they're still going on about fat being the evil enemy that we need to avoid so that we don't get fat. Yeah, huh? that's right. They're still thinking that fat is the bad guy and fat's not the bad guy. The amazing thing about fat is that fat yields or delivers twice the amount of energy that carbohydrate delivers. The other thing that fat does when it goes into the body is that it's digested and utilized by the body immediately. It's not something that requires um, any kind of breaking down any further. It doesn't need hormones to make it available. Fat is burned immediately. It's used. It's either it's either used in the manufacture of hormones or, manuf- or used in the repair of cells. Um, it's a ready-to-go macronutrient, whereas sugars, carbohydrates, actually have to be broken down further to the smallest carbohydrate or the smallest sugar. Then you need a, a, a hormone response called insulin to actually then go and activate uh, cells that are sensitive to insulin to then utilize the sugars. So it's a long, drawn-out process. And so if people are relying on most of their fuel coming from carbohydrate fuels, which is exactly what this plate still suggests. It actually suggests that 75% of your fuel should come from carbohydrate fuels. You're not going to be balanced. You're going to be well out of balance. No, you should have no more, my belief, is no more than 40% of your calories coming from carbohydrate fuels. And, and I reckon um, people, don't under, or people underestimate how valuable fat is. You know, they're not told anymore how important fat is for the health of your body. You know, we look at all those reproductive hormones that are created from fat. You know, it's really important to have those, have a properly functioning hormonal system going on in your body. Yeah. Um, you know, cholesterol, we keep getting told cholesterol is this horrible, bad thing we need to avoid. Well, cholesterol is like the founding blocks of your brain. You know, if you don't have that cholesterol, your brain just doesn't function it's properly. Yeah. So we actually need to have fats to keep our bodies functioning well. So let's talk about, like, what are some of the symptoms of someone who doesn't eat enough fat? Like, what do you, I mean, we're not, we, t- we talk about tiredness, obviously some hormone balances, but, I mean, people don't realize what they're doing to themselves, the body. I mean, we, you know, especially you, Damo, you, you've been seeing it as a naturopath, and, and uh, you will see a lot of clients who, who are going to this idea of not eating a lot of fat, so they would actually have these symptoms come up. What are some of the typical symptoms you would see? Well, a lot of people feel uh, 
Um, well, the, the, oh, it's such a great question. I love it. People will have a number, a host of different um, symptoms that are associated with a low fat intake. One of them is that they will have, they could have insomnia. Another one is that they'll be depressed. Another one is that they'll be vitamin D deficient. Another one will be that they have poor bone mineral density. Some people have dry skin. Other people have poor thyroid function. Some people have impotence. Other people actually have uh, erectile dysfunction. Some people will actually find that their hair falls out, um, not for male pattern baldness, but for other reasons. So it's a nutrient deficiency. You need fat to actually, um, I suppose, unveil every process within the body. It's so important. Um, other things that people have is grumpiness and moodiness. They crave carbohydrates when they don't have enough fat in their diet. Um, you know, people, there's so many different things. Yeah, and that, and that craving carbohydrates is important because without the fat and the protein in your diet, what you end up having is spikes and crashes. You, know, you have this spike of sugar from the carbohydrates where you get this spike of energy, you get this spike of, you know, buzz. And then it's followed not long after by a crash mm. because you just don't have that long-standing energy. You don't have that energy that lasts you throughout the day. And that's a really stressful way for your body to function is these constant peaks and troughs of up and down, up and down, up and down. And you know, talk to any office worker and they know exactly what you're talking about. You know, What's everyone like just before morning tea? What's everyone like just before lunch? What's everyone like just before afternoon tea? You, know, you see these spikes and crashes all day long. Um, and it's just not good for your body. It's not a healthy way for your body to function at all. It actually yeah. stresses your body. So, look, yeah. look, I mean, I can hear this right now. People are listening to this and go, all right, so you're telling me to eat more fat. So that means I can eat more butter and fish and chips? Or what are we talking about here? Let's get specific so that these guys can get a good understanding of what type of fats because there are differences. Definitely. So we want to talk about healthy fats. All right. So the sort of healthy fats you're going to be doing, you're going to help, the fats you're getting from your real foods, from your whole foods. All right. So the sort of fats you get from a nice, healthy, you know, lean piece of meat are going to be good. You know, the sort of fats you get from an egg are great. Um, you know, the sort of fats you get in your nuts and seeds are, are really important for your body. So it, it's just those those fats that you just get as part of an ordinary, well-rounded, basic whole food meal, basically. You know, you don't have to go out there and eat, you know, a slab of fat. It's just from your real, from your good, healthy, basic foods. Yeah, so I'll just take that a little bit further because there's a number of different types of fats that we hear about. So you've got polyunsaturated fat, you've got monounsaturated fat, you've got saturated fat. They appear to, well, they're the most commonly spoken about fats. Now, your saturated fat, if it comes from an animal, if you eat too much of it, we definitely do know that too much animal-based saturated fat will cause plucking in the arteries. There's no, it's, it's unequivocal, it definitely does happen. So the... Brett's, uh, Brett's suggestion before about having your lean cuts of protein, that's, it's very, very important that you do that because if you're going to eat protein to the value that we suggest that you eat, which is you know 40% of your calorie intake at least, then you want to make sure that you're not having the fatty cuts. So you don't want the grain-fed stuff. You don't want grain-fed meat. You don't want grain-fed chickens. You don't want grain-fed horse. You don't want grain-fed anything. It should be free-range. It should be running around eating its natural environment. And I think that's a particularly important thing to remember. So the fat in meat is worse for you if it's been grain-fed. It so means just, it's just, just to be clear, it's do not eat grain-fed because I think a lot of people uh, forget. That, I, I mean, I've seen it all the time with chicken and I've seen it in cows where they actually advertise as being grain-fed chickens and grain-fed cows as being a good thing because people... Yeah, absolutely. You see it all the time. You know, you go into a restaurant and you've got like these different grades of steaks that they've got there and right at the top is the grain-fed one, right? But, you know, we've just spoken about how having too many carbohydrates for a human can make us fatter, right? Yeah, right. Well, it's exactly the same thing going on with our animals. We're feeding them up because we want to make them fat for sale. We're feeding them up on grains to make them fat for sale. And so we're throwing out their fat ratios big time. 
and they make them taste better with the fat itself. So it's obviously very important. That's, that's why they feed them so well with grains and they'll make them move. Like it juicy. Yeah, and it affects the fat ratios too, doesn't it? You know, the, the ratio between the omega-6 and the omega-3s, you know, mm. it throws that ratio out. Um, and that's a, that's a really big issue that we've got going on as well. That's, that's really unhealthy. Yeah, now I was speaking, that was the saturated fat, but then we go from the saturated fat into the polyunsaturated fat. And so polyunsaturated fat, uh, we have, I suppose, two major classes of fats here that are what we call essential fats within polyunsaturated fats. So the only two essential fatty acids that are polyunsaturated really that we need to be concerned with are omega-3 and omega-6. Now, omega-3 fatty acids are found uh, primarily and almost exclusively in fish and uh, seafood. So uh, there is some talk about finding omega-3 fatty acids in some grains, such as chia seed or flaxseed. But what we do know is that the fractions of those omega-3 fatty acids don't convert easily to the human usable form, which is DHA and EPA. About 1% of the fat that actually comes from flaxseed oil or chia seed, so... um, uh, what is it? Alpha linoleic acid. Um, that that's only that's con- about one percent is actually converted to be uh, EPA. Now about 001 percent is converted to DHA, and that's the DHA that we need to maintain the health of our brain, the health of our nervous system, and um, and to assist in the curbing of cardiovascular disease. So it makes no sense to be eating vegetable-based omega-3 fatty acids if you're trying to bring your omega-3 fatty acid profile up because those vegetable-based or grain-based omega-3 fatty acids also are accompanied by omega-6 fatty acids and omega-9 fatty acids, omega-12 and omega-7 fatty acids. And we don't need those. They're not essential, uh, they're not essential fatty acids. We, we, the only essential ones we need are 3 and 6. Now, you have to then eat lots of fish. And so fish is an excellent source of essential fatty acid omega-3, and that's what you want. Um, and that's good for you. You can get the raw omega-6 fatty acids, and you can get raw omega-6 fatty acids from using oils on your food. So you can use um, olive oil, for example, that provides beautiful omega-6 fatty acid that hasn't been cooked. It has to be cold-pressed, extra virgin olive oil. But as soon as you cook with uh, polyunsaturated fat like canola, which is terrible anyway, we'll talk about canola oil and how bad that is in another talk, or rice grain oil, we'll talk about that as well because that's a terribly bad fat for you. Um, as soon as you cook with a, a polyunsaturated fat, it's, it's no good for you anymore. It's, it's bad for you. And so omega-6 fatty acids are slightly anti-inflammatory if they're raw, but they're highly pro-inflammatory if they're cooked. And so you want to stay away from them. And your omega-3 fatty acids are only good for you if they haven't been heated at too high a temperature. So temperatures below 110 degrees for omega-3 fatty acids. Temperatures, for example, if you barbecue your salmon, and you've, and you've really heated the heck out of that skin, all of that omega-3 fatty acid is now, it's turned, it's now no longer good for you. So you, you're best to bake your, um, bake your salmon or poach your salmon um, or just you know, eat it raw rather than actually having it cooked. Okay, so basically we're just saying the fats are important. We want to make sure that we're getting those healthy fats, particularly from the fish. Mm. Uh, if we're having the meat, grass-fed meat is really good. Yeah. But when we're cooking, we don't want to use the olive oils and the canola oils and those sort of things. We actually want to then use the saturated fat. Well, you can use saturated fat or monounsaturated fat. So monounsaturated fat is fat that won't bend. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's only one spare carbon atom. That's all there is. So it's not going to bend any further. Saturated fat means it's definitely not going to bend. Yeah. Um, but monounsaturated fat can bind to something else. So you, you, monounsaturated fat... Uh, uh, 
you know, you'll find those in macadamia nuts, you'll find those in um, avocados, you'll find uh, monounsaturated fats in, you know, basically almost all nuts really uh, do contain monounsaturated fat, and that's good stuff for you. Um, and it's it's what we call cardioprotective. So it has an effect on the heart, which is highly beneficial. Yep. It's good to have it. And so the Choose My Plate new food guide thing doesn't recommend that you actually pour or use fat on your food. So uh, you should actually pour beneficial fats onto your food so that you're getting raw fat in your diet. Now, the point that you make about cooking is that you want to cook with a fat that's stable. Yep. And the two most stable fats are saturated fat or monounsaturated fat. The unstable fats are polyunsaturated. Mm. So you don't want to cook with polyunsaturated. You want to cook with stable fats. That's your coconut oil, which is rich in uh, saturated fat. That's my favorite. I love it. It tastes great. Mm-hmm. Um, you can cook with a little bit of lard, but you don't need to because the fat from the meat will come out through the meat anyway. So you could use that. Yeah, that, um, that was a great thing I got from one of your talks where you just spoke about, look, just, just put a bit of water under it. You yeah. know, just a bit of water so it doesn't stick to the pan and then let the juice from the meat form that, that fat that you can cook with so it doesn't stick. And that works for the treat. Yeah. So it? simple. How good. And yet the flavor you get is just, yeah. oh, Brilliant. Unreal. Love it. Yeah, I'm hungry right I'm hungry. Now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm starving. And, uh, and so I did mention that saturated fat you can cook with. So, and I did say that uh, using uh, coconut oil fat is good mm. um, and a little bit of animal-based saturated fat coming from the meat, not added to the meal, is actually going to be fine as well. So that means that you probably shouldn't cook with butter. Um, if you were to use, say, butter or margarine, you'd choose butter over margarine because margarine is a um, stabilized form of an unstable fat. So they've taken polyunsaturated fats and they've stabilized them by hydrogenating them um, or emulsifying them, which essentially converts some of these fats to trans fats, which we know promotes diabetes and heart yeah, disease. Yeah, so you, don't, you definitely don't want margarine. Yeah, definitely. And we've seen so much research out there about the trans fats now. That That's such an important area. And that, that's probably one we'd talk about in the future, I reckon, because there's a lot of information there about, out there about those trans fats and, and how much damage they can do. Absolutely. And so I think you get the point that you've got to have fat in your diet. And it should be around about you know 15 to 20% of your total calorie intake should come from fat. It could be more. Like some people yeah. who are really stressed probably need more fat. Because the fat is the fuel that your adrenal glands are going to utilize to manufacture more hormones. You know, the adrenaline that you're pumping out, the cortisol that you're pumping out, the norepinephrine that you're pumping out, those sorts of hormones are required to actually, uh, so those sort of, they, they require that fat is, is part of your diet to be able to manufacture them. Otherwise, you're going to be craving carbohydrates, and then you're going to convert fat from your carbohydrates and then make them, which means that your hormones are going to be of poorer quality. And, and we've actually seen evidence of that from, from you know, native communities where you know, even like the Eskimos and, and communities like that, where they actually have a huge amount of fat in their yeah. diet, but they're actually really healthy. Yeah, they use seal blubber on their toast. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. So I think one of the things is that we know that the food pyramid's bad, the choose my plate is better, but however, it's just not perfect. Now, Damien, I think just to end off of this call, uh, this podcast, I think let's give an insight of your uh, your method, the PA method. I think to to kind of give it, a, you know, it's people's perspective of what is the right thing to do. The PA method, mate, is a is a is a system that's devised using the human body as the portion controller. So you use your own hand to determine how much protein, fat, and carbohydrate you're supposed to eat. So the food pyramid, I came about that when I was studying dissection. And when I was doing dissection at RMIT, when I was studying to be a chiropractor, and I cut open humans, uh, dead humans, and would uh-huh. pull out the stomach, and the stomach size was always consistently about the size of two fists. So it appeared to me that it made sense that you'd eat 
the amount that would fit into the stomach without causing too much stretch or too much stress on the body. So uh, I then went to do some more research, looked at balancing all that out. I looked at Dr. Peter Diadamo's work, Dr. Barry Sears' work, and tried to work out how I could balance out fuels within the body. And I worked out that if I was to eat the right amount of food, uh, to fit into my stomach with every single meal, and it was balanced using protein, fat, and carbohydrate, uh, I would actually get a really good hormone response to my food, and I'd get great output. I'd have lots of energy. I wouldn't put on body fat, and I'd feel fantastic. You know, So that was what I did. So I've designed It's called the PALM method. Uh, the PALM method is available you, uh, through the Wellness Guys. Uh, if you wanted to get access to it, you can, uh, I actually haven't got a website set up for it anymore, but it is a great system just using your own hand. To, you know, to, we, we could perhaps put a video for that on the website. What do you reckon? We could yeah, do, we that. do that. Yeah, just check yeah. out the website, thewellnessguys.com. Uh, we'll definitely put up a website to uh, explain uh, you know, what to do on the PALM method. Awesome. So do you want to just, uh, just quickly go through it though quickly so just so that people get an idea? Yeah, basically you're going to use your palm as your, uh, your, your, your visual guide for protein. It should be the size of your palm up to your first knuckle and then it's the thickness of the smaller side of your palm, not the thumb side of your palm, the other side of your palm. So that's, it's the size, so the surface area of your palm by the thickness which would create the volume um, of this, the thinner side of your palm. Then it's a whole hand. So you spread your fingers open. It's a whole hand worth of vegetables or fruits or a combination of vegetables and fruits um, and then two fingers worth of fat. And that amount into your index finger and your middle finger, uh, that amount of fat should be, uh, that amount of protein, that amount of fruit and vegetables should be consumed with every single meal throughout the day. And, uh, and Damo is demonstrating that with his hands here, but obviously that's a bit hard to pick up on the radio, but that'll be on the video on the website, right? You'll see it. You'll see it. There's a guy who does the video called The Palm Method, and he's got hair. He looks, uh, he looks like me. I, I reckon he's an imposter, but he's got the information. <laughs> and what about the fats? Did you talk about fats? The two fingers. I did two fingers. Yeah. Two fingers. You know, just want to make sure that's important. Excellent. So that's, uh, that's what we're going to be talking about the wellness guys here is that this call has been breaking down the food pyramids and then breaking down the food plate and how, why, and which is actually healthy for you or not healthy for you, and ending off with the palm method I think you've got to follow. So I really encourage you, for those people listening on the iTunes podcast, go check out the website, thewellnessguys.com, and we'll have a video of Demo demonstrating, using his hands, uh, on the palm method. Excellent. And make sure you leave some comments at the bottom here. We've got a section here for you guys to tell us what you think of what we've spoken about today and, and give us some feedback and let us know what you'd like to hear about as well. That's really important. So this is Dr. Lawrence Tam. We look forward to uh, hearing from you in the comment sections. We will be doing episode number three, and it's going to be a surprise. Uh, you, trust me, you want to be listening to episode three because it's going to be bringing towards uh, in terms of additional information on health. You don't want to miss that. So I'm Dr. Lawrence Tam. I'm Dr. Damien Christoph. I'm Dr. Brett Hill, and I'm going to go get some lunch. <laughs> I'm starving after that. <laughs>